We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. In First Chronicles um, chapter 16, if you want to go there. I don't know about you, but I I want miracles. I want what only God can do. Now, sometimes the Lord will use a medication or a doctor, and uh, I think the healthy Christian sees the supernatural in the natural. You know, um, it's still the Lord, right? But um, not only, you know, physically, but man, I want to see miracles in, in my life. I want to see a transformation. I was thinking about it as I, I've seen that thing a couple of times, um, a few times, and just how the heart changed. You know, the heart changed. At one time it had whatever, all the fluid around it, it was elongated, and uh, God stepped in and God changed the heart. And I want that in my life. You know, I want God to change my heart because only he can. You know, every once in a while, you know, you'll see somebody that you just, you see them and they have just like a, a beautiful heart, a beautiful heart and a lot of grace, uh, a lot like Jesus. And uh, you can't teach that and you can't pressure somebody, you know, hey, get your heart right. You can't do that. Only God can do that. But if we allow him, you know, to handle our heart and to meddle with the middle, then those types of miracles are kind of what I'm talking about. And so, you know, we, we see that in the life of David. What does the Bible describe David as? A man after God's own heart. Huh? A man after God's own heart. And some people think, well, that means that God really wanted him. And I guess it's possible, but I think primarily what it means is he had a heart like God's heart. When you read the book of Genesis, it talks about all the species after their own kind. So when David is described as a man after God's own heart, it, it primarily means that he kind of had a heartbeat like the Lord. And we're going to learn from him uh, today. He's such a great picture of Jesus for many reasons. We're going to see today David uh, uh, used by God in a tremendous way. Uh, he's a prophet, a priest in one sense, and king. He's a great picture of Jesus. And I tell you what, man, if that's, you know, I, I hope that's your good desire. I mean, to, to be like be like the Lord. You know, that's got to be our desire, and that's our hope, you know, to, to be like Jesus. I was reading this story the other day, and uh, it was about, a, um, I don't know, uh, some salesmen. And I guess they were in uh, regional sales, and they were in a convention in Chicago. And, uh, and so they were going to be heading home, and they had assured their wives that they were going to be home in time for Friday night's dinner. And you know how it is, like if you know your wife wants you home at a certain time, you better be there, right? You guys know how that is, right? And so in their rush to catch the plane home and, you know, tickets and briefcases and all these things in their hand, one of the salesmen inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of apples. And so apples, they, they flew everywhere. But without stopping, without even looking back, they all managed to reach the, the plane in the nick of time uh, because they almost missed their boarding, all of them except for one. One man paused. Uh, he took a deep breath, and uh, he kind of got in touch with his conscience, and he, uh, 
he saw that there was a girl that was manning that apple stand that had been overturned. And so he, he told his friends to go on without him. He waved goodbye, and he told one of them to call his wife when they arrived home at the destination to explain what had happened. And then he returned back to where the apples were all over the floor. And uh, he was glad that he did. Uh, apparently there was a 16-year-old girl there that was blind. And she was crying. Tears were running down her cheeks in frustration. And at the same time, helplessly you know, groping for the apples that had fallen. And the crowd swirled about her. No one stopped. It seemed like no one was caring. And then the salesman knelt on the floor with her and he gathered up the apples and he put them back on the table and he helped organize her display as he did that. And he noticed that a lot of them had become bruised. And so what he did was he put the good ones there in the display and the other ones he put in a separate basket. And when he was all done, you know, he pulled out his wallet and he said to, to the girl here, you know, please take this $50 you know, for the damage that we've done. And he asked her if she was okay. And she nodded, you know, through her tears that she was. And uh, he asked her, I hope we didn't spoil your day. And then as he began to walk away, uh, the, the girl, who was bewildered, she said to him, Mister? Then he paused to look back at her. And, you know, remember, she's blind. She said, Are you Jesus? And then he kind of stopped in mid-stride and he wondered and he went back and he said, no, I'm nothing like Jesus. He, he's good. He's kind. He's caring. He's compassionate. He's loving. And he would have never bumped into your display in the first place. And then the little girl gently nodded and she said, I only asked because I prayed for Jesus to help me gather the apples and he, and he sent you to help me. And then she said, well, if you're not Jesus, then thank you for hearing Jesus, mister. And then he slowly made his way to catch the later flight and then just, you know, questions within his soul. Um, do people ever see Jesus in us? And what do they see? I pray, you guys, that that would be our heart. I think David is a great example Real, real cool guy, beloved of the Lord. And he made a huge difference. He really did as a leader, as a king. Now, he's a servant, and he was a faithful servant. But he was a servant with a title. You can never be that faithful servant unless you know what God's called you to do. God eventually called him to be a king, a psalmist, a prophet, so many things. And he was so sensitive to the Lord that God was able to use him. And he's an example for us. And so we're going to see if we can go through a couple of chapters tonight. And uh, we're not going to go really in depth. Um, but hopefully we can touch on some things that we can take home with us. Um, how when God says yes and things go good, do you guys praise the Lord? Definitely, right? And when things, uh, sometimes God says no, and things, you know, go what we think is bad. Do you still praise the Lord? I hope you do. Look what it says here in verse 1. It says, And so they, they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. 
Remember what the Ark of the Covenant symbolized. It symbolized the presence of God, you know, the special manifest presence of God. Um, that was what the Ark symbolized. You read that in Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, and Psalm 99, verse 1. It actually says the Lord dwells between the cherubim. And some translations say he's enthroned there. And so for David to want to bring the Ark is because he wanted the presence of God to bless the people of God. He really wanted that. He longed for that ark to be located there in the central city of David, uh, Jerusalem. But uh, according to Warren Wiersbe, the ark hadn't been there for 75 years. Did you know that? Did you know that? The ark hadn't, hadn't been there. It hadn't really been in public display for for 75 years, it was in Shiloh. And if you remember, the Philistines had captured the ark when Eli was judged back in 1 Samuel 4. And they then returned it to the Jews because the Lord sent judgment on the Philistines. And then the ark was first sent to Beth Shemesh. And then it was taken to Kiriath-Jerim. And it was guard, guarded there in the house of Abinadab, according to 1 Samuel chapter 5. But here we see David, he pitches a tent for the ark. And in doing so, um, we're going to see he, he does some pretty cool things as a prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to see glimpses of that uh, today. Um, you know, real quick, if you want to go over to Psalm 132. Maybe put your marker in First Chronicles. Look what it says in Psalm 132. It's a song of ascents. It says in verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David was determined huh, to kind of you know, find a place, a home. Some believe that's in reference to him building a temple um, or might be in reference to him erecting the tent for the ark. But he really had it in his heart, I believe. And when you look at the, the commentary, it's really interesting. To bless the people, but primarily to bless the Lord. Because remember, I always tell you guys, man, you know, we... We, we love God first, and in doing so, I think what ends up happening is we show our love for the people, right? And so back in First Chronicles, David has this determination to set up that tabernacle and praise God, he's finally put in a position where he can actually do that. And when it's there, it says in verse 1 that they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, if you remember, we studied this back in Leviticus, that burnt offerings are representative of an absolute, complete sacrifice and consecration to God. Don't, you can't just give God part of your life. You can't just give him once in a while or this part of my heart. You know what? You'll be miserable. You'll be frustrated. You won't have peace in your life. But when you give God all of your heart, when you give God all of your life, when you're full bore, all in, that's the burnt offering. And that's what we should be offering to the Lord. The peace offering was in reference to fellowship with God. And this is really the, what we're seeing the Ark of the Covenant is all about. I mean, man, I, I, want, I want to be in the presence of God. The help of man, I've realized, is a, is a blessing, but without the Lord... It's useless. 
And so, you know, God says, okay, I, I'm not you know, going to share you with anybody. I'm a jealous God. And are you all in? Are you fully, completely committed? Or are you doing this for your parents? Or are you doing this for your grandparents? Are you doing this for your boyfriend? Are you doing this for your girlfriend? Are you doing this for, and it could be on and on and on. Are you really, truly completely committed to Christ. And then when you're there, it's so cool, man. There's that peace offering. And think about it. We can have fellowship with God. One of the beautiful things about being a Christian is I can walk with Him. I can talk with Him. He guides my life. You know, and we get to, you know, He's working on me. You know, that's what we see right here. They're offering the burnt offerings. They're offering the peace offerings. And this is so cool in verse 2. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings... He blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Now that's a lot. Doesn't that make you hungry? I mean, you know, but no, that's a lot. And and it's kind of like, I believe, some people think that the, 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 um, the word says the piece of meat. Um, some people believe it's in reference to maybe um, um, another type of date, or some even say wine. Um, and I, don't, I, I was looking that up, and I don't think it can be really verified. Uh, but uh, the, the main thing I think we see here is David, as a leader, he really wanted to bless all the people. He gave it to all the men, and he gave it to all the women. And I know that wasn't cheap. Right? So anyways, he really has a heart for the people. And that's why we see David as such a great example for us. Notice next in verse 4, he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael and Shemiramoth and Jehiel and Mattathiah, Eliah, Benaiah, Obed-Edom. Jael with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Benaiah, Jehaziel, the priest, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. And we're going to see, as you go through Chronicles, you see a lot of emphasis on music. You see a lot of emphasis on that part of uh, of of just the life of God's people, you know, and uh, and I get blessed when I see these guys up here worshiping. I don't know about you, I get so blessed. God has provided for us not just, you know, we don't have we we don't you know necessarily you know have to you know whatever play music. We have been given men and women with talents to worship, and God, I believe He's just starting. You, you keep angel in prayer. You keep these guys in prayer. Because that's a huge part of the battle. You know, as we get to worship the Lord, and we're going to see it in Chronicles so clearly, how, you know, David here, he appoints these guys to minister there before the ark. And uh, it says right there, uh, to commemorate, to thank, in verse 4, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. You know, and that's uh, the word commemorate is interesting. It means to make petition, or it even means to ask for God's blessing. We're going to see uh, 
repeatedly in this uh, uh, chapter about how God just, uh, David is so thankful. Imagine that, just putting people there and just say, your job, your calling is to thank God. Thank him. Praise him. Lead us in worship. Lead us in victory. Because, you know, God is so good. You know, First Chronicles 23.30 also kind of puts this together. It says to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. And, and so once again, we see that vital part that worship through music ministry is. How powerful that is. And so I want to encourage you guys to keep that in prayer. I also want to encourage you to you know, play worship music at your house and worship and sing. I, I love to hear uh, my wife singing. You know, Don't tell her I told you that, but I love to, to hear her singing. And to me, it's beautiful. I, I love to hear that. You know, and knowing that, that, that music that God has given to us is for worship. I know I, I've always been blessed by that passage over in 2 Kings 3 when Elisha wanted to hear a word from the Lord. And so he asked for a musician. And then when the musician came and was, was in worship, it says in 2 Kings 3.15 that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So never underestimate worship. And when you come here, I really encourage you, man, to, to get in, involved, to, to really, you know, not just uh, singing to sound good or hitting the notes or whatever, but to really let it be worship from your heart. You know, God will do a great work in you if you understand how beautiful worship is. You know, remember in the book of Acts chapter 16, and we talk about that so much, about how when they were praising God, singing hymns at midnight, that there was an earthquake. So there is power. There is power in praise. And we see that throughout the scriptures about different you know, uh, victories. Uh, for example, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, uh, it says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord. Notice they went out before the army. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now the beautiful thing about that is this. Imagine you're going to war. And you send out the musicians first. You know what that is? It's an act of faith. Because usually we don't sing the song until we're done. Right? They're singing the song before they've begun. Because it was an act of worship. It was an act of trust. It was an act of faith. And let me just say that to you. That, you know what? Uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. As we, whatever it is that we're facing... You guys can go into the battle singing. Things might happen. You don't understand. That's okay. It's all part of God's plan. And so, man, I encourage you guys to really be a part of worship. David was the psalmist of Israel. And so we have a, kind of a psalm here. Look, it says in verse 7, it says, On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Notice to thank the Lord. And so he says in verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. That was part of the reason why I showed the video. Let people know about this. This is amazing, right? I mean, sing to him. Sing psalms to him. And talk of 
all his wondrous works. I heard a story today. Henry was telling me about a about a, a amazing story about how God was preparing a mom for the the passing of her son. It's just so personal. Henry told me the story. I was just blown away about how personal God is, how amazing God is. And we we got to talk about these things, right? That's what he's saying right there. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Here it is. Let the, the heads of those rejoice. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. You know, in all honesty, are you seeking the Lord? I hope you really are. I hope you're like genuinely pursuing him you know you're genuinely in the word and in prayer and and when you're there you're really asking god to show you not just his hand or some external part of who he is but to be able to really see his face it talks about being intimate with god that's what david is saying as god has done the great work bringing the ark he's praising the lord and he's writing a psalm uh, some say there's similarities to psalm 96 psalm 105 psalm 106 and we know there is right but remember, this is the hymn book of Israel. And, and, and he says right there, remember. Because I think a lot of times we forget. Remember. Remember his marvelous works. And he's going to say that again later in verse 15. To remember the, that he's done his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. And you, know, you remember the, the mighty works of God and even the hand of discipline. You know, you remember these things. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his, and it's cool, we're going to see this tonight, important, his covenant. Remember his covenant forever. God has made covenants. And for example, the, right here it says, the word which he commended, commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, with his oath to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. I mean, God said to Israel, That's your land. Now, that's kind of cool because we can really we can validate this today. For instance, in case you're here and you're a skeptic and you're wondering whether or not the Bible's true, let me just ask you a question Is Israel in their land? They're in their land against all odds. They got, you know, they got taken out of the land in 70 A.D. And so for close to 2,000 years, they didn't have their land. But they maintained their identity, right? Um, and the Bible talked about that because it was an everlasting covenant. That's why they're in the land today. And as we see all the prophecies beginning to unfold you know, one of the things that the Bible talks about that Israel would experience towards the end is they wouldn't have allies. You know, and one by one we see people, again, us as a country, unfortunately, no longer supporting Israel. Israel is a huge sign. It really is. Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, uh, the, the push. Uh, I was uh, listening to uh, Don Stewart today because he did a study over at one of the pastors' meetings that we went to, and he was talking about how it wasn't that long ago, back in 1990, he said they would go to Israel and there wasn't a push to rebuild the temple. 
He said, maybe, he said, maybe you can find two or three, maybe a handful of people who were interested in rebuilding the temple. He said, now, man, it's just full blown. And you see it all over the news. They're ready to rebuild the temple. So, you know, looking at Israel and seeing this everlasting covenant is for us a sign. Um, and David's just worshiping God for that. Look at verse 19, when you were few in number, indeed very few, and, and strangers in it. I mean, when the Lord taught to Abraham, he didn't have any kids. And God said, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky, like the sands on the, on the, on the, on the shore. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I don't have any kids. And then eventually he had one in the flesh, and then he had one more. And God says, and look at what God has done. All the promises for your life. You know, young people here, does it matter, older? Do you still believe in the promises of God? I mean, it's a real good thing. It really is. And right here he says, man... When you were few in number, look at the, the promises of God that, that came true. And then he just kind of shows the faithfulness of God in verse 20. And they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people. God protected them. He permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets uh, no harm. And we know we saw this in the book of Genesis chapter 12 uh, with Abraham and chapter 20 again with Abraham, once in Egypt, another time in Gerar. Um, you know, God protecting his people, right? And later we see it with Isaac. I mean, David's just going back and not really sharing a whole lot here, but just some things to really praise to the Lord. And so he says in verse 23, sing to the Lord. All the earth proclaim the good news of his salvation from from day to day. And I like that. I like that. You know, the salvation, yeah, physically, God protected them, but bent day by day, you go out in the highways and byways, and as God would lead you, you tell people how to go to heaven. You know, take every opportunity, seize every opportunity to tell people about the Lord. I mean, today I was late because um, they asked me to do an invocation for the, uh, they're having a Citizens Academy graduation. And so the sergeant, he says, will you go in there at 6.30 and, and do the prayer? And I said, can I pray in Jesus' name? He says, yeah. And then, uh, um, you know, but I'm like, well, wait a minute, i got to study at 7. And, but you know what? I want to take every single opportunity I have. And there's, you know, 40, 45 people there from the city of Almani that I get to speak the name of Jesus to. I encourage you, you know, you don't have to be, you guys know that, you don't have to be a pastor or ordained, or in ministry, or leadership, or anything. I see some of the young people, like Alex, and, and different guys. What a blessing to see the witness that they are sharing with their friends. They're sharing with the world. It's awesome to see that. You guys keep it up. That's what he's talking about there. Proclaim that, that good news of his salvation you know, every day and declare his glory uh, among the nations. There you have Joshua and Katie, and they go to Cambodia and Robert, and he's, he's all over the place in Mexico. You tell the whole wide world, and you go out in the highways and byways. You tell people about the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
Now, today, if you go to college or you just talk to people, the politically correct uh, view is that like all religions are the same, like all roads, you know, lead to heaven. But you guys, um, we know that that's not true, according to John 14, 6, First uh, Timothy 2, 5. There's only one mediator. There's only one way to God. How can they all be true when they contradict each other? How can Buddhism be true and Christianity be true when Buddhism teaches that God is not personal? When Buddhism teaches that when you die, you lose your identity like a drop in a pond? Buddhism teaches reincarnation. Buddhism is the complete... You know, and it's, I mean, and you look at all of them. You look at Islam. I mean, you look at all the religions of the world, and they're mutually exclusive. There's only one faith, there's only one belief in the world that teaches that it's not us trying to work our way to heaven and go up the mountain to meet God. Christianity is the only one that says God came down the mountain to meet us. So, only one. He's a personal God. He's a loving God. He's not like the God that the Muslims believe in, Allah, who is a decretive God in the sense that he chooses some for heaven, some for hell, and there's no hope for anyone else. And you can never know if you're saved. You know, and you know, all the things that... All I'm saying is don't buy the lie that says there are many ways to God because all the other gods or so-called gods are not gods. They're actually idols. I mean, they're not real And so he's just saying again, you want to point people to the Lord. Notice in verse 26, he made the heavens. That's the one. He made you the maker and maintainer. That's the one that we serve. You know, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, oh families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name and bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the, and I like this, the beauty of holiness. Now, sometimes I think that we think holiness is not pretty. But man, holiness is Beautiful. And I want to encourage you, like like it says right here, just worship the Lord in that. We're going to see as we continue on, as we go through our study today, David says, there's no one like you, Lord. There's no one like you. And and ultimately, that's kind of what holiness means. Of course, it talks about being pure and without sin, but it means to be completely sacred and sanctified and set apart And in your life, I pray you would know that that's the God that we serve. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. Sovereign grace, sovereign power, and he is always there for you. Always. Tremble before him, it says in verse 30, all the earth. The world also is firmly established, and it shall not be moved. You know, there's that healthy fear of God that's so important that you never lose that. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad and let them say among the nations, and he kind of gets into like a nature, you know, um, let them say among the nations the Lord reigns and let the sea roar in all its fullness and let the field rejoice and all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord 
for he is coming to judge the earth. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about how the, oh, the whole earth is, is groaning, kind of like in these, just longing, even the earth, longing to be redeemed. And we almost see that here in our study, but God is he's coming, he's on his way, right, to bring, right here we use the word judge, and it's true, uh, but it's just justice, that's all it is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, why? For he is good. All things work together for good. Remember that, you guys. Romans 8.28. His mercy endures forever. And, and he tells him, Say, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles. And the context here would be um, you know, the non-believer to give thanks to your holy name and to triumph in your praise. And blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. You know, and so um, we got to talk to Angel or Erlen. You guys got to do a song. You got to do the music to this, okay? Because at one time, this was a song, right? And they were singing this song. And so it's really cool. Again, we kind of get back to that. It says right here, and all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And so he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom the son of Jeduthun and Hosa to be gatekeepers, and Zadok the priest and his brethren, the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them, Heman and Judutan and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks. I like that. There it is again, just to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. Aren't you guys glad that, that he hasn't given us what we deserve? I'm just so blessed by that. And so it says, and with them, Heman and Jeduthan to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. And now the sons of Jeduthan were gatekeepers. And so they, it's just really cool how they all have their place, uh, David and the Lord and these guys working together to just team up, right, and to serve the Lord. And it says in verse 43, and then all the people departed, every man to his house, and then David returned, I like this, t- to bless his house. Now we actually read a little bit about this last week in Second Samuel chapter 6, about how when he returned to bless his house, his wife, uh, she was pretty mad. You know, she made it real difficult for him, right? And sometimes that can happen. Let me just say that as a quick side note, Okay. <laughs> A husband might come home and he wants to bless his house and the wife has had a hard day. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you guys got to meet each other, right? And as a husband, you have to try to be sensitive to her. You know, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. And as a wife, hopefully you're doing your best to make it that when he comes home, that it would be a sanctuary. He'd be blessed, man. Maybe make him some real good food or, or something. Homemade tortillas. Right, ladies? <laughs> All right, let's read verse chapter 17 real quick. Okay, take a deep breath. 
Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. And then David said, Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. And like we read earlier in Psalm 138, verses 1 through 5, David just had it in his heart. You know, and again, I don't know if that was in reference to the temple or the, or the tabernacle, but he wanted to, to have a place for the Lord. And so when Nathan first hears it, he says, oh, that sounds like a great idea, right? But look what happens. It says in verse 3, that night, that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, and then he goes on, and we're going to see uh, in the next uh, prophecy for David. Is this awesome? But here's in, in the end of the day is David has got this great idea, and it just makes so much sense. But what ends up happening? God says no. Right, and that's really the the blunt end edge of it. That God says no. Uh, we know, according to other scriptures, that uh, the Lord said that um, you you shed a lot of blood, and so you can't build the temple. Even though he fought the Lord's battles, it still wasn't what God wanted. And not only that, I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, you know what? The people of Israel needed a caring leader more than they did a temple. I think a lot of times we're all into the building. We want a bigger building or body or budget. And God's just saying, no, that's not always going to happen like right here or with you or at this time. You know, I think it would be better if we all just said, I'm the temple of God. Lord, let me be like David. Let me be like Jesus. That's what the people need, right? That's really what they need. You know, um, the Lord says, no, tell my servant David, no, I've never asked for it. They've never had it. But you guys know this, right? Whenever God says no, he always has a good reason for it, right? He always has a good reason. And he's got something better. Next, what we read in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. At one time, think about that. David was this little guy, you know, 12, 13 years old. He's following the few sheep that they have. How did he get from there to there? How did that happen? Let me ask you a question. Did David do it? No. Of all people, we know he didn't do it. It was God. God took him and said, hey, there's a guy that cares, I'm going to take him, I'm going to make him, make him king, right? God put him where he, he was. Verse 8, And I have been with you, God says, wherever you have gone, I have cut off all your enemies from before you, 
And I've made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. It was totally the Lord, right? Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. And furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And I just love this because a lot of times God tells us no. For those of you who are parents, what would you say? Um, in, in raising your children, did you have to tell them more, uh, no more times or yes? Like which one is it, right? And you would have to probably say, I had to tell you no like a hundred times more. <laughs> Then I had to tell you, yes. So a lot of our ministry, like Aaron failed to do this. Aaron failed to restrain the people. He failed to restrain them, and so they were, you know, worshiping the calf. A lot of times you have to say no, but you got to remember that's only for a good reason. God says, I got something better for you, and look at what I've done in your life, right? I, I, I made you king. I've given you a name. I know you really care about the people. I'm going to plant the people here. It's all a good thing. I'm going to subdue your enemies, and I know you want to build me a house. But because, and I believe God was so blessed by that, even though God said no, because it was in David's heart, God said, I'm going to build you a house. And David would have what we call a dynasty. And it's amazing. This is what's called the Davidic covenant. It says in verse 11, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled and when you must go to be with your fathers, I love that, when your days are fulfilled, when you're going to go to heaven and be reconciled with those that have gone before you, your loved ones, that I will set up your seat after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. And what's the Lord saying here? The Lord's talking about Jesus. That's what he's talking about. The son of David, right? And he says, I will be his father, he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as a Turk from you who was before you, from Saul, and I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And the Lord had this so cool. You know, when you read Genesis chapter 3, the very first messianic prophecy said that it's not going to be an angel. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be a man. When you continue to follow through the prophecies, you see it be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob and the tribe of Judah from Genesis chapter 49. And then you see here he's going to be a descendant of David in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He's going to be born in the city of David in Bethlehem. And it's so cool the way when you trace it through the Bible how God just gave all the prophecies for that, right? And, and so um, verse 15, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Now this is the first time we come across Nathan in the life of David. He would end up being a lifelong, trusted, and trustworthy friend of David that God would really use in a mighty way. Um, we see that Nathan earned his trust. Uh, Nathan was the one who confronted him after he fell in sin with Bathsheba. Nathan was even responsible for helping Solomon you know, get on the throne. And so after the Lord says all these things to David, it says in verse 16, and I like this. I don't know if you guys can visualize this. Then King David went in, and he sat before the Lord. 
And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? Here it is, that you have brought me this far. Did you ever feel that way? I mean, you're just like, man, I can't even believe that that I'm, you know, a Christian. I can't even believe that he's brought me brought me this far. Today I was reading in my reading in Luke chapter 15 about the, the prodigal son. And when he came to his senses, he went back to the Lord. But this is what he said. He said, you know what, I'll go back to my, 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 my father's house and I'll just tell him, just make me a servant. Make me a servant because I'm not worthy to be a son. But what ends up happening is as he goes back, um, the father runs to him and he, you know, he puts a robe on him, a ring, sandals, and he says, you know what, you're not just a servant. You're my son. I think sometimes we get caught up in being a servant. And it's cool serving the Lord, don't get me wrong, but I'll tell you what, you're his son. You're his daughter. You're his child. And to me, service flows from that. I mean, I have a title. You might have a title. It doesn't matter what the titles are, but you need to know what your responsibilities are. So sometimes those titles do have, they do help. But to me, it's like, man, thank you, Lord, that, that you've done this in my life. You brought me this far. And I'm not worthy. I mean, it, None of us are, and I, I, I get kind of grieved sometimes because I, I think, you know, sometimes people think that they are worthy. None of us are. David here may have said that he was worthy. Hey, I'm the one that killed Goliath. You know, I'm the one. Do you, do you know how many, they used to sing songs about me. I was so much better than Saul. Saul killed his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. You can still get it on CD if you want to listen to the song, you know. And I, and I waited on you, and I killed bears and lions, and you know, I mean, you know, sometimes people they look at themselves in the mirror and they just puff themselves up, and it's like, no, don't do that. I was also reading in Luke today that when you do what you're supposed to do, just go and say, I, I'm unworthy. I'm kind of an unprofitable servant. I'm just doing what God's called me to do. That's all. David was like that. He said, I can't believe you brought me this far, Lord. But look, he says, there's more. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. O Lord God, what more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For here it is, and this is really cool, for you know your servant. And I tripped down on that because, you know, the Bible talks about um, how we can't hide anything from the Lord. He knows us, and he still loves us. Can you believe that? He still loves us, and he still uses us. We're still his. He says, O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness and making known to all these great things O Lord, and this is what I was referring to earlier, I love this, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And and who is like your people, 
Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel, notice, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. I mean, there's no one like God, and man, we're blessed to be his people. It's so cool. And so David is just, he, he's really in tune. He, he knows what's going on. And so on verse 23, he says, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever. And do as you have said, he's praying here, so let it be established that your name, notice the motive, may be magnified forever. See, that's, that's the reason. And sometimes I think people might judge they might judge a Greg Laurie. Oh, look at Greg Laurie. He's, he's doing all these things. Who are you to judge Greg Laurie? You don't know his motives. I, I, I kind of think and believe that he, he wants God to be magnified. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I think that David's like, God's like, I want to raise you up. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to do all these things. And... And, and David says, okay, Lord, do it. <laughs> do it. But it's so that your name would be magnified forever. Right? And so it says right here, for you, oh my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart, I like this, to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. You have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed. Uh, for how long? Forever. And that's, in the end of the day, it's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus uh, had, you guys know the three offices of the Old Testament that were anointed, right? The prophet and the priest and the king. We know Jesus fulfilled all three of those offices and here when we see David involved in the things that we're seeing today, even though he didn't have necessarily the office of priest, he was a prophet, he was a king, and we see him uh, giving that picture of a priest as well. And so in closing today, um, looking at David, the, the, the root of, of, of Christ, the son of David, looking at, at him, I pray that you guys would see Jesus. And like I, I, I mentioned to you in the beginning today, that um, when people see us, that, that, that that's who they would see, that they would you know, be able to say, I see Jesus in you. I remember my pastor always used to tell me, let Jesus express himself through you. And that's my prayer, you guys. So you, you better love each other or I'm going to beat you up. No, I won't. I won't be able to, but does anybody here know Kung Fu Sansu? Let's love each other, guys. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.